you turkey hunt last week? You did, right? I did. Um, I was not successful, but it was still a very good weekend. Um, it's, uh, we went, uh, I guess my, uh, in-laws and I went up to their property in Northern Wisconsin and, uh, that's where my, both mine and, uh, my father-in-law's tag was for last week. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's where we do a lot of our, our deer hunting and, there's normally a, a pretty solid turkey population up there. I mean, he, he's only had this property for close to a, oh, geez, probably close to eight months now. Yeah. But we've hunted up there. It's a ton of public. Um, and so we, we hunted up there before. And uh, yeah, it was silent. It was like oddly silent. Um. Out of the handful of people that we talked to, only uh, one saw uh, a, a male bird of any age. Hmm. Um, and I mean, I spent all day Saturday kind of hopping from uh, different sections to different sections. And I was kind of, in all honesty, I was combining some. Uh, scouting for whitetail yeah with my turkey hunting so i i had a bag with my cameras in it and uh running to an area where i've had stands in the past had my my longbow in one hand and a backpack over my shoulder and (laughs) uh call in my mouth and you know drive up to a logging road walk in a couple hundred yards towards uh where i normally whitetail hunt throw a couple of calls out, wait, see if I get any response, keep kind of slowly meandering my way, the direction that I want to go. And, uh, yeah, I did not have a single response all day, man. That's brutal. Um, I did not spook a single bird all day. And I was, I mean, I was walking through the woods for, eight and a half, nine hours. Yeah. Um, and, uh, got a lot of stumping in. So (laughs) the the longbow got some work because about four or five hours in, I was like, well, if nothing else, I'm, I'm going to, I got a couple of, you know, blunts in my quiver. So I might as well, uh, get some field practice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I have a, uh, I'm, I'm stumping ignorant. Uh, when you stump, does it like a hundred percent have to be like a dead soft no. stump? Okay. I mean, I would not be shooting living trees. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But um, I guess uh, rotted stumps, um, clump like mounds of dirt. Um some random wildflower that you you lock on and <laughs> you decide to try and pop the head off of. Right. Um, it's really just kind of a, a target rich environment as you're stalking through the woods. Yeah. And something catches your eye. You go through your shot process, you lock on, you let one rip and, uh, you win or you lose. 
And it, it's a very quick way of, of knowing your level of preparedness um, for when that time actually comes because it's all unknown distance. It's all different shot angles. It's different yep. heights. It's, you know, there, there's a lot of uncontrolled variables compared to your target at home, mm -hmm. which can put things into perspective very quickly. Um, and that's, I mean, this will be my first year trying to actually hunt with this longbow. And, uh, as much as I have been shooting it daily for quite a few months now, um, the first couple of shots were like, oh, okay, that on a, on a whitetail size target, that would have still been lethal. Right. But that's not what I want. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, where you're, you know, you, you screw up the release and you're a couple inches left or a couple inches right. Yeah, it's not what you want. Right. But it's a very low risk way of putting yourself in that unknown moment and uh, letting some arrows fly and having some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know walking in every time I was uh, hunting this uh, uh, this spring for turkey, I saw, well, walking in and walking out, I just saw so many rabbits, so many rabbits. I just couldn't justify shooting a, a silver flame XXL at a rabbit because there probably <laughs> wouldn't be much left if I did hit it. Uh, and the whole time I was like, man, I really wish I had some like, you know, small game head stumping arrows to, to fling at this dude. It definitely would have broken up the monotony of the day of just sitting there and nothing happening. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I got some, uh, 200, uh, 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 BFTs. Yeah, I can, I can I can send some of those your way. I might have you do that. Those uh those ones from Ethics. Oh yeah, yeah, the ones I that, wanted, that's the ones that's I want to name after Carter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's I uh the two hundred grain ones were the, actually the ones that I was playing with, uh, that I had in my quiver last weekend, and uh, it's aside from one much more firm stump than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. They did very well. And the, the one that was more firm than I thought it was, there was no uh, shaft damage from the shot, um, but it kind of expanded back into the hole that was created. And I had a little struggle getting it out ah. because I, I got it out without any damage to the shaft or anything, but it was, uh, yeah, one of those where I, I walked up and I grabbed it and I, I very nearly broke my shaft because the, it, it didn't want to pull out. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, you had a much more exciting weekend than I did because I didn't hunt. I'm trying to think of what I did. I don't remember. It was something with the wife. Oh, it was Mother's Day. Yeah, that's what it was. So I yep, didn't. Uh, it was. Yeah, so it was Saturday spent with the in-laws and then Sunday spent with, uh, with my mom. So that was, uh, that was my weekend. So no, no hunting. I was thinking about going over to Kansas, but I didn't get a chance to, I might do that this weekend though, for trying. Yeah. I think we've got another two weeks for turkeys over there, try and sneak out. 
Uh, so just Rob and I yeah, tonight. It's been a busy, busy couple of weeks, though. Yeah. So yeah. You know, Mother's Day last weekend. That's, uh, and oddly enough, I was with my mother in law, but not with my wife. <laughs> because I was up north hunting turkeys, so <laughs> she she got she got the evening. There you go. Uh, we did some stuff there, but uh, no, it's, I I took her out to a three D shoot. Uh, oh yeah, the weekend before, and uh, I was just so close to to winning. That's uh, I had two shots that uh, ended up as eights. That <sighs> if if that wouldn't have happened. I would have blown first place out of the water, but eight points can kill you. Yeah, I uh, but I don't know much about 3D, still a good, but good start to the season. Yeah, it's uh, been top five in the last four shoots that I've shot at. So there you go. That's uh, I'm I'm happy with that for it being just fun for me. I don't. Yeah, that's how you take really, uh, too too serious about it. Yeah, so. too insanely serious. Yeah, that's I like I said, you know, like I've mentioned before, I don't I don't know much about 3D. I've never shot it like an actual 3D course or score or anything, but it does look like fun. I'll, I'll probably try and get out. And well, I know there's supposed to be a 3D shoot at a at a local trad place in a week and a half that I might try and go shoot at and expect to take dead last. So that'll be that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, you don't have many like clubs around you, do you? Not really. We have there's there's like three in the Kansas City area that I know about. Um, one is exclusively trad. When I say can't like, I mean, like I can drive to in less than 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, I, I guess there's a couple if you want to drive like a little over an hour, then there's a couple more. But I've I work until like five or six in the evening most of the time. Like I don't have time to do that and then drive an hour. Like it would just kill my entire night. So uh, weekends maybe, but it's something I'd look into. But for just a, a weekday thing, I don't really have that that opportunity. But the trad one is only like fifteen minutes from my house, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and start hitting that up pretty frequently. And it's a Fairly yeah. cheap, fairly cheap membership, and uh, the president of uh, Compton Bow Hunters is part of that club. So okay, cool. I'm gonna yeah. It's we have a lot of clubs around the state that uh, put on 3D shoots on the weekends mm -hmm. um, that are open to the public. So you don't have to be a member. You don't have to like. Um, there's a handful of different Facebook groups, and there's a couple of different uh, uh, websites that they'll you know post when their events are and i mean from late mid late april until september i mean i'm in the green like i'm half an hour west of green bay wisconsin and for that entire period of the year if i'm willing to drive 45 minutes to an hour and a half, I can guarantee that, that there's a shoot available every single weekend. That'd be nice. And so that's one where like you have some yard work on a Saturday, you get that done and you call up a couple of buddies and go, Hey, you got a couple hours free. Okay. I'm picking you up. 
<laughs> and you run half an hour over here or 45 minutes over there and you spend an hour running through a, a 25 to a 30 target course through the woods and get some practice in. Yep. You know, it's, uh, I, I, until I started talking with more people out of state, I didn't realize how lucky we are in this area from that aspect. Yeah. Of, you know, having that opportunity whenever we really want. Yeah, there's, uh, I, I think there, there, I guess there's a decent like 3D scene in the like if you include all of Missouri. I know, uh, I know you've got to sometimes you have to drive out pretty far east. Uh, but man, like every person I talk to that's into it is just like so, so into it, like super competitive. And I'm like, man, I don't even think I would enjoy myself if I went if I went to something <laughs> something like that. But anyway, oh, there's definitely guys that are are very competitive uh in like the open circuits yeah um like there's a couple of different uh like semi-professional uh tournaments that last throughout the summer um where it's you know the culmination of four or five or six different events and there's some very good payouts yeah um for those um but i mean the majority of these are hunting clubs and uh, I mean, they're, you know, they've got a little clubhouse. It's a, you know, nonprofit organization that mm-hmm. they've got a course on a handful of acres and they'll, you know, sell brats and beer and sodas and you pay 10 bucks to run, to shoot the course. And that's all like, hmm. unless you're in like a, a pay in category or a payout category um there's really no prizes you're just going there for the fun of it and so it's they're opening their club up to the public to essentially sell uh refreshments and hopefully pull in some new members yeah uh if it was like that then i'd probably I'd probably be more into it, but hunt, like hunt clubs aren't a thing that exists around Missouri either. I mean, you'll have guys that like go in on a lease together, but it's not yeah. like, it's like, it's like three or four guys that go in on a lease. It's not like, yeah, like a hundred people. When, when I say hunting clubs, it's more or less guys that, you know, are willing to volunteer their time to help maintain a course and to help run a club. Right. And, you know, they have leagues or, you know, they'll do club competitions throughout the season, but it's not like uh, property sharing type of uh, situation. Yeah. But, huh. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try and find a couple 3D shoots. You just got to move up by me. Yeah, yeah, that's all. <laughs> moved, to, moved to northern Wisconsin. Well, you're like mid Wisconsin. Mid Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 It's not so bad up there, I guess. They've got beer and the Packers, so it all works out. That is true. Um, so it's just me and Rob hanging out tonight. Uh we have a couple of questions written down and some that we don't for some frequently asked questions that uh that we get either Rob through his uh 
through uh, dynamic archery solutions and him building arrows and engaging with people quite frequently. Uh, some questions we have had sent to the page that we have like kind of talked about before, but we might expand on a little bit more. And then just some other questions and like frequently uh, uh, covered and uh, poorly educated, I guess you could say, topics uh, that pop up online on these Facebook groups all the time. So I'll try and uh, uh, bring a little light to these. Um, Rob, is there any particular one that you would like to lead off with? Uh, doesn't really matter. I mean, there's definitely some that you see more often like especially in like the facebook groups and uh you know not necessarily like technical questions mm -hmm. um because like you know what spine do i need for this much point weight and you know stuff like that is very setup dependent is dependent yeah. on the person right yeah absolutely but stuff like um you know, and I guess a lot of these questions will cater to people looking at building their first heavier setup mm -hmm. um, that, you know, have been running like, you know, uh, you know, high three or low 400, maybe mid 400 type build um, and are looking at intentionally building something that's a little heavier, a little better. Um, so, I mean, probably the, the biggest question that I get from guys that have never shot a heavy arrow and just don't know what to expect is going to be one of two questions. It's either going to be, um, what speed will I, you know, see if I go to X weight arrow? Um, or on the flip side, it's how heavy should I shoot? And there, there isn't a clean answer really for either one. Um, for like how heavy should you shoot? Right. It depends on where your comfort zone is. Right? right. And I mean, we, we've discussed this um, a couple of different times on the podcast, but it's one where until you actually shoot some heavier arrows and get a feel for what the trajectory is going to be from your bow at your specs, you know, with how you have your anchor and your peep height and your sight positioned you won't know where I'm perfectly comfortable at 230 feet per second. And that's kind of my go-to like uh, goal speed. Someone else is a 250 goal. Someone else knows that they really like 275, you know, and so it depends on your experience. It depend, depends on a lot of what you're trying to do with it. Um, and so in that regard, it's get out there and play with stuff. Yep. Absolutely. You know, buy a test pack, buy some single shafts from, you know, from Lancaster, whatever Avenue is available to you, buy a couple of shafts, buy a couple of different point weights, 
and play with it. Yep. And see what you like. See what fits what you're doing. And then evaluate it based on the information that you have. Yeah. A, a lot of um, a lot of guys that shoot comp this is kind of a compound specific comment. Uh, but a lot of guys that shoot compounds when we talk about shooting like heavier arrows, uh, automatically assume it's it's like shooting a, a traditional bow when even a, a traditional bow that's hauling is like 200 feet per second on a hunting setup. And that's oh, that's yeah, that's, that, that's a that's yeah. a that's a setup that's probably too light, to be honest, uh, um, for for hunting with a traditional bow. But I digress. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, but like 200 feet per second would be hauling with a recurve. And you are going to be way faster than that with a typical hunting setup uh, out of a compound. So yeah. all these all these guys are like, I'm not, I'm not trying to shoot a recurve. Well, you're not you're not shooting a recurve. You're still going to be shooting probably 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 feet per second faster than that, depending on on what you're trying yeah. to do. But I would I would strongly encourage guys, like you said, to buy a couple of shafts off off Lancaster or if they're if they have any friends at the pro shop, like just go snag a couple arrows from them and go shoot it at 40 yards. Uh, I guarantee they've got, I guarantee they've got full length, full metal jackets in there. You toss a 150 grain point in it. It's going to be pushing 500, 550 grains. And, yep. and you can easily see what your trajectory is going to look like at that further distance. And people would be surprised would be, would be very, very surprised. Yeah. And that's, that's the biggest thing is, I mean, a lot of, uh, Smaller companies are starting to do test packs. I mean, like myself, I mean, Grizzly Sticks done them forever if you're looking to to adventure into that kind of a build. Um, but a lot of different companies are starting to offer test packs where you can get two shafts built to your specifications and then you play with them. And it, it's a low cost kind of, you know, dip your toes in the water kind right. of setup yeah right um and what i would suggest when when testing those is not to necessarily compare where your 20 is right right so don't don't make a judgment call based off of well my my current 400 grain arrow is is zeroed right now and if mm -hmm. i put this 500 grain arrow in it's hitting six inches low that's not a good judgment right compare your gaps re-zero re the 500 and then look at what the gaps are from there yep absolutely um because the heavier the arrow gets one the gaps start to stabilize um so they don't grow quite as quickly yep um and two just because there's a three or a four or a five inch difference between the two arrows at 20 doesn't mean that it's going to be a giant gap from 20 to 30. Right. And until you actually make the adjustment and you see that it, it's hard to, to really grasp it. Yep. And, and that's where, you know, having a, a single shaft or a test pack or just some stuff to play with uh, really can make a big difference. Yeah. And on top of that, and I won't lead into this too much because we'll talk about it here in probably a couple of minutes. When you start to increase 
front of center, uh, a lot of guys that shoot sight tapes will find that even their if they have a high front of center uh, or a tapered shaft or a, a couple other things that can contribute to this, uh, the like feet per second that you have on your uh, for your sight tape doesn't match up with your actual feet per second because a high front of center arrow and a uh, a tapered arrow is going to retain speed at further distances much better and a heavier arrow in general retains speed a lot better a uh, uh let's say a 350 grain arrow being shot out of my wife's bow at 250 feet per second is not going to retain speed like my arrow that's 650 grains being shot at uh, 250 feet per second because yep. the mass that comes out of these heavier arrows uh, uh, just it, it without turning this into a, a whole physics lesson, the, uh, the 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 drag is reduced when you have more weight. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. That's not right. Well, if, uh, if the speed is the same, the drag is the same. Right, right. But when you look at the force of the arrow, the higher the mass with the same speed, you have more momentum at that speed. And the more that the momentum is derived from mass, the more stable the force because mass doesn't change. So if you've got a super light arrow that is traveling at a very fast speed, you have good numbers up front at launch. But as soon as that knock leaves the string, your speed is decreasing. And if your force values are heavily dependent on that speed, now your force values are quickly decreasing. And that causes a spiral where the lower the force gets, the faster the speed decreases. And then the faster the speed decreases, the lower the force gets. And it it just continually drops off. Whereas if you have a very high constant mass, now that's providing stability to the force, which provides stability to the speed. And so then you have a, a slower rate of speed loss. Um, and that's going to show most in very heavy arrows, but right, you can definitely see it as you break into the 500s. And then definitely once you get into the 600s, you'll see that a sight tape that works at 20 and 30 might start uh, not aligning properly at 40, 50, 60, and so on. Right. Because the arrow is, is actually retaining that speed better than expected. Yep. And while, while you're in that 500 to 600 grain talk, I'll go ahead and segue into the other question that we had talked about uh, that we see quite a bit. Well, it's question slash like point of conversation that a lot of people say, well, what kind of speed should I expect out of my new heavier arrow or, or a heavier arrow? And the, the reality is there, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that, but the short answer is faster than you would think. Uh, and the, the main reason for this is because you're, when you shoot a bow, any noise or vibration that you feel or that you hear, 
uh, is essentially lost energy. And you'll notice as you go up an arrow weight, there's less vibration and there's less noise. And that's because more of the bow's total possible kinetic energy is being transferred to that potential arrow. energy, potential energy. Yeah, there you go. Potential energy, potential kinetic energy uh, <laughs> is being <laughs> is being transferred to that arrow. Uh, and the longer that arrow sits on the string, the the more time it has and the more mass that the arrow has. I mean, for, uh, 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 force is never lost. It's just transferred and you can transfer more of that energy into the arrow. And, uh, so when you punch in these numbers into these calculators, these, uh, I've seen all the time, these like fairly reputable people, which it's like, you wouldn't think this would escape fairly intelligent guys like this, or so you would think, um, you know, they're like, well, if I shoot this arrow, it's going to be 180 feet per second or, you know, 190 feet per second when really it's like 20, 30, 40, 50 feet per second. And it's not always that that's on a pretty heavy arrow, but it is, uh, it's not uncommon for guys to punch in, uh, an arrow between 500, 600 grains in one of these like little IBO calculator things. And then the actual speed is like 10 to 15, sometimes even 20 feet per second faster depending on the efficiency of the bow and how heavy your, uh, your arrow is in relation to your draw weight. Uh, so the short answer to what kind of speed should I expect is more than you would think. Uh, and, and that's, that's basically across the board. Your efficiency goes up as your arrow weight goes up. Yeah. And so just on that note, so I just pulled up archerycalculator.com. Um, and I went to their uh, bow speed, aerospeed calculator. Mm -hmm. um, I put in my current setup. Mm -hmm. um, so at the 342 IBO bow, 30 inch draw, 80 pound peak weight, uh, 950 grain arrow. And I've got about 20 grains on the string. You calculate that, it tells you 152 feet per second. Now, this I like this website because they do note they, they make it it's right there for you to for you to see that this calculator is assuming that increasing or decreasing arrow weight by three grains will change the speed by one foot per second. And this is very accurate at near IBO arrow weights. Right. If you're in that 350 to 400, maybe even up to like 425-ish uh, range, a calculator like this will be pretty darn accurate. Um, but because of the efficiency that you mentioned, as the arrow weight goes up, the efficiency increases and it takes more mass change to cause a one foot per second speed change. Yep. So in reality, this calculator is telling me 152. In reality, my arrow's flying about 235. So it's off by 80, <laughs> 80, 80 feet per second, 82 right? feet And now that's second. a very heavy arrow, right. right? But that's just accentuating the, the error that occurs in some of this stuff. Now, like uh, offline, what we were kind of discussing, um, 
one way for guys to make uh, uh, like a minimum speed estimate mm-hmm. is if you know that um, so like if, if I take the same setup and I put in uh, that's, I guess I know that my 500 grain arrow is well I guess I need to switch pages go to the the kinetic energy calculator <laughs> um but if I have a known arrow weight and I have a known speed so you've you've weighed your arrow and you have ran it through a chronograph if you know those two you can calculate the kinetic energy and momentum for that arrow and kinetic energy is a great uh value for bow efficiency um because you're not going to have any super drastic changes for the most part but as that arrow weight goes up that kinetic energy output is going to increase um and so a great kind of ballpark is if i know that with my my current arrow weight i'm getting a specific speed and is giving me this kinetic energy value. I can then go onto one of these calculators and I can put in the arrow weight that I'm considering, say 550 grains, and I can put in a speed that I'm, I'm, you know, just make a guess. So say a 550 grain arrow and you're guessing it's going to go 280. And that gives you a 95 foot pound. Now I'm that'd be nice. You know, I run heavy bows. This is actually slower than what mine does. Mine's closer to 295. Um, But if you have that kinetic energy value now you can, you know, so if you have your known value, you can play with the speed number until you match it or get just a little bit above it. And while that probably won't be the exact speed that that arrow will achieve, it should not be slower than that because there should be some level of efficiency increase, which will equate to a slightly higher speed. Yep. And so this is one way that when guys are going, I, you know, just mentally that they're like, I don't want to be below 280 feet per second or i don't want to be below 250 whatever that mental hurdle is that they've kind of set and that that kind of one way to to kind of rough out that and go okay maybe i want to you know my test arrows my my test pack i want something that's going to give me a range around say you know 550 to 600 grains and that should put me in this ballpark that i'm i'm thinking is going to be my max but if you do it right if you have the spine set up right or if if you do two different arrows and you do a spine stiffer and you get a handful of different field points now you can give yourself a wider range and go okay i think this is where i'm going to be comfortable and then prove it to yourself by going past it and show yourself, are you truly not comfortable beyond that point? 
or was it just purely mental? Yeah. A lot of the times it's mental. I've well, and that's a, a lot of times guys have seen so much stuff online and have seen the calculators and are going, there is no way that I would be comfortable with a 500 or a 550 grain arrow, let alone a 650 plus. Yeah. Right. And you have all of this, you know, all of these comments and calculator values kind of in your head. And it's all telling you that you're not going to be comfortable. Yep. Until you do it, (laughs) you don't know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I think I I went from essentially uh, my heaviest setup at the time was 460 grains, I think. And that was a rampage with a... uh, there's a 300 spine rampage with a 55 grain insert, uh, half out, uh, 125 grain head. And I think a four fletch on the back, it was like 450, 460 grains or so. Uh, and when I was like, okay, I think I want to try and get over 500. The next build I went, I did was like a 540 ish grain. I bumped up almost right at a hundred grains. And mm-hmm. when I shot it, I was like, man, this, the trajectory difference isn't that much like at least to, yeah. to me it what it was it did just it just didn't seem like much so then like immediately like two weeks later i was like i'm gonna go heavier because the jump wasn't yeah. that drastic and and this is where test packs are nice yeah yeah because if you do a full build <laughs> which i did <laughs> right now and then that's exactly what happens to a lot of guys yep. is they go, there's no way I'm going above this value, even if I've never shot it. And then they they drop money on a full build. Mm-hmm. And they get that and they go, man, this really isn't any different. Yeah. Like there's some differences out at 40, 50, you know, plus yards. But for the majority of hunting distance, like this really wasn't much of a change. Like I could have went heavier if I wanted to. Yep. But now you just dumped, you know, how much money into this build. And so now you're going to run it. And that's where guys that don't do test packs tend to take, you know, three to like five years to really find where their maximum, where that tipping point is. And then actually settle on a, this is where I want to be because They'll do a build. They'll go, oh, yeah, this is still super comfortable. And then they'll run that for a year. And then they'll do a build the next year and they'll bump it up another 50, 100 grains and go, oh, okay, yep. It's a little slower, but this is still very manageable. Mm -hmm. And then they'll do it again the next year and they go, okay, yeah, this is getting a little heavy. Like, I think I would prefer to be backward, kind of in between the last two. Right. And so now you're in year four. And, <laughs> you know, instead of just buying some test test arrows um, and either way is fine. I mean, like my personal story is, I mean, I my first heavy build was right around 500 grains. Yep. It performed very well. And I just kind of got the curiosity bug and went, OK, well, if. If the stuff that I was reading 
that led me to this point was was you know it kind of proved itself to me in in what happened with that 500 grain build and I went okay well what about 600 and then what about 700 and now I'm you know shooting a 950 grain arrow because I like it <laughs> and it's I you know it took a handful of years and I found my tipping point yep. and then I took a step back and locked it in a lot of oh and that kind of leads into another question that we get quite a bit is uh um how heavy like how heavy should i go uh well i mean that that kind of relates to the last question but uh what uh, uh how heavy should i go based on the game that i'm pursuing and uh, i mean i am in the boat uh of i, I shoot 650 grains because uh, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like this might, well, you're comfortable with, uh, it. I, well, I am, I am comfortable with it. Yes. But I don't have any desire to ch- like, I don't th- feel like, Oh, I'm going to change to a 450 grain or 550 grain arrow for a Turkey to give me more like range or trajectory. I don't know. I, I guess I've, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm certainly not saying that you are a, an immature bow hunter. If you want to shoot at, at longer ranges, I have nothing against guys. I want to shoot stuff at, at longer ranges, but I guess I've just like grown out of the, Oh, I like, I need to be able to shoot a Turkey at 70 or 80 yards. Uh, um, granted now that I'm shooting a recurve, I guess none of that really matters, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like, especially if you're shooting instinctive, sticking with one arrow weight for, Yes. A lot for multiple species is way easier because you can just you shoot that all year round. And especially if you're shooting instinctive, uh, you're the, you know, the old muscle uh, memory. Yeah. The old, you know, uh, uh, hair covered calculator up top is uh, is doing doing everything for you. And as long as you don't switch weights, like it's going to be fine. And like you're the the muscle memory will happen and you'll go through your shot process or I guess my shot process of, you know, pull it back and let it go uh which we're gonna we're gonna talk i think shot process is gonna be another episode here coming up pretty soon fyi for the listeners um but uh, you know a lot of guys uh, to me it doesn't make sense to say i shoot this weight for turkey i shoot this weight for whitetail and then if i shoot something bigger i'm gonna go and and build this when really if these guys like take the time if they're like yeah like next year i think i'm going to uh, go hunting for an elk and I'm going to shoot a 550 grain arrow. Like I would encourage you to like go shoot that 550 grain arrow from your pro shop or order a test pack or whatever, shoot it. And if you're comfortable with the trajectory, just build the damn arrows and then shoot it at a whitetail or a turkey or whatever else. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I would, well, uh, I would certainly, uh, I would recommend like looking at the, largest game that you think you might shoot in the next like two to three years think of what you would what kind of arrow weight you would want to shoot with that built like buy a test pack build some arrows to that weight see if you're comfortable with the trajectory and then if you are shoot it at everything else kill multiple things with that arrow setup and if it works out for you then just keep shooting it and then shoot it something bigger when you get there yeah and that's there's a couple of different things that I, I discuss with people on, on on this topic. And one of them for me, I guess, is I I have the resources, I have 
the equipment to tune my bow whenever I want. Right. I mean, I, I, that's, I tune other people's bows. So I have the, the tools to do it. I have the knowledge to do it myself. It's simply a matter of time. And so if I wanted to have five different arrow builds, I definitely could. I would just have to reset up every time I switched. And for me, time is very valuable. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very busy. And so the last thing that I want to do is needing to, to, you know, retune and reset up my bow and switch sight tapes and, you know, change all this stuff just to go hunt a different animal. And so I run one weight and the, the other side of it is your confidence in shooting whatever arrow you're shooting. I mean, archery is a very mental game. If you are mentally confident in your setup and you're, you're used to it, you know it, you understand that trajectory, you are going to make a better shot in the heat of the moment because you inherently know it at a subconscious level. Yep. That only happens if you are shooting that setup. Yep. And so those on the fly adjustments that that heat of the moment, you know, if you are someone that ranges and then, you know, adjusts their sight before a shot, um, or even if you have a multi-pin, you know, you set up on one and then it starts moving. If you know that singular arrow weight if you know that build it's a lot easier to make that on the fly adjustment yeah because you you know what that arrow's doing in flight yep and you've been and if you did kind of like what i mentioned you've been shooting it for a year or two at this point yeah and- exactly and th- and that's my point is the longer that you shoot an arrow the the more that you subconsciously understand what that arrow is doing at different yardages. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, I'm very much a fan of a single build that will cover everything that you do. Yep. But there are situations where, especially if you start looking at some of the extreme sized animals where you might not want to, you know, run, your heaviest build sure for some of the factor animals right um and i guess for clarification this would be you know guys that are running 60 70 pound bows that are potentially running like a 950 plus for like dangerous five type animals right um where where that's what's recommended um you know, you might not want to run that for whitetail just because whitetail can be quick or antelope or, you know, some of these other fast twitch animals. Yeah. Right. It might not be the most comfortable thing for you. Right. It'll definitely work. But I would I would like to mentally point out, like really, really quickly that deer and antelope jump strings all the time at arrows coming in at nearly 350 feet per second so if you think oh, that you're, you if can you, see animals 
jump the string on crossbows that yeah. are approaching 440, 450. Yeah. So if, if you think that you're going to beat the the arrow is going <laughs> to beat the animal, like it doesn't matter if if a if an animal was going to jump a string on something that fast, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You can shoot whatever you want. And if the animal was going to jump it, it was going to jump it because it was alert. Uh, and there's nothing yep. you could do about it. Well, and that's so, definitely anyway, sorry. It, it's I a, just want to get that in there. No, that, that's a great thing to comment on. Um, because in my mind, animals jumping the string is an alertness issue. Mm-hmm. If an animal is, is jumping the string, so to speak, that animal was alert before the shot. Yep. Um, typical animal response is the first odd, you know, it something's going to put it on edge, right? It might be you drawing the bow. It might be, you know, something else in its surroundings. Um, It might be your scent or it just sensing that something's off, right? But you have to be able to evaluate the state of mind of whatever animal that you're aiming at and understand if it is on edge or not. Um, If an animal's already on edge, if it's already on alert, the next unnatural sound that it hears it's bolting. is more than likely going to cause a flight type situation. Yep. And in a flight situation, they're looking to leave the premises as quickly as possible, which is going to be that that drop where they're preloading their legs. And because of the rate at which they're preloading their legs, their body is going to be literally pulled down. Right. It's pulled by their from, hips. Normal. From muscle. Right. Yeah. It's not a gravity drop. Yeah. It's it is muscle pulling that body down to preload the legs and cause an explosive launch. Right. Uh, I've seen I've seen guys try and like disprove that deer can't jump string. Uh, I can't can't jump the string based on the uh, based on physics and, and how quickly that mass can fall. And, and I've, I've said it over it's and over. And I'm like, it's not gravity. <laughs> like they use like it's the hip and shoulders. Like it's it's the hump muscle guy. Like, I mean, yeah, like they they can get like you can. Yes, your hand can can fall and, and hit the table, but you can also use muscles to move your hand faster than it would fall. And, and it's, it's the same thing. You can move, like I can, I can make my whole body fall faster than gravity based on muscle. And it's just, it's, it's a thing. Like, I don't understand why people don't get this. Yeah. And that's the, I guess the point that I was getting at was more of a back to the mental comfort aspect of there's, there's nothing saying that you can't run a nine fifty or like a 1250 tempo, like (laughs) on any animal you want yeah go for it but it might be a little more challenging in that you know there is different reaction times a a very large animal that those are intended for will have typically a slower reaction than a very small twitchy animal right right and so where i see no issue with like this, like if we want to just put a line across the board at 650, like I see no issue with a 650 build, right? On anything, yep. Right, 
And from that point, it's dependent on the bolt. Like I have, I see no issue with my 950, but I'm also running 8030. So I have some advantages there. Sure. And it's just a matter of where you're comfortable. Um, but as, as a general statement, um, when I get this type of a question, that's if you're looking at like whitetail, hogs, um, that type of animal size, um, my my normal recommenda- recommendation is going to be north of 500. I don't recommend anything below 500. And that's me. There's nothing saying that below that won't work. There's nothing saying that it's not going to be a good build if you do it right. right. But I have seen a lot of, uh, I have seen a, a, a definite difference in success levels on animals that size yep, above and below 500. Yep. Um, now if you're looking at like elk or moose or something more in that kind of a category, I'm, I'm going to be recommending North of 600, yep. preferably 650 plus. Um, and that's more of just because of, you have larger bone mass. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, can a 350 grain arrow slip through a massive Roosevelt elk? Absolutely. It can, right? But I've also seen 550 to 600 grain arrows squarely catch a nice thick rib and center punch it and just parachute. Yep. Just come to a standstill and that's a matter of that bone threshold you know that the bone you know big animals like that especially those bones like that rib cage is meant to take abuse those animals fight yeah you know they're they're hitting each other with giant swords (laughs) like and so you've got this rib cage that is meant to absorb impacts and it flexes and when an air, you know, if you squarely center punch something like that, you've got to overcome that flex and the movement of the tendons and the cartilage and all that associated tissue before you can even start penetrating. And that's where the weight comes in. And that's where that weight gives you a level of insurance if that happens. Yeah. And so that definitely plays into where I'm recommending above that 600, preferably above 650 for, for animals that size or larger. Um, and that's not saying you can't, but it's just, if someone asks my opinion on it, mm-hmm. that, that that's what they're going to get. Yeah. Um, another question we get, or probably you get more, more than we do, but I know we've talked about it is uh how important is straightness in an arrow um the short answer for me is if you're shooting trad not and this is not to say that straight arrows are not helpful uh or will help uh cover up your uh your lack of being able to shoot like me 
uh um but if you're shooting trad straightness uh in my mind is just not as important i'm not i'm not stressing over going from an 003 straightness to an 001 straightness uh how the 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 trad arrows i'm probably going to end up shooting like just for stumping and 3d and maybe even shooting a whitetail and stuff is probably going to be an 005 straightness uh so trad not too worried about it uh compound uh straightness depends on a couple of things uh uh the i would say the longer your draw length the more important it's going to be uh, because you don't have the ability to chop off a ton of the arrow, uh, but also how good you are at tuning, uh, your straightness is going to be, or how much time you have to tune straightness is going to be a big deal there too, because if you have really straight arrows, you don't have to knock tune. Uh, but if your arrows are not very straight, you probably will end up knock tuning. So that's, well, that's my short answer. Knock tuning typically tends to relate to spine consistency right but you are right in in the aspect that in the majority of cases the straighter an arrow the more consistent the spine right and so that that's it's a very common correlation that you know uh straighter arrows are more consistent and at least from the testing that i've done straighter arrows tend to have more consistent spines which means that you don't have to knock tune as much which means that they're going to be reacting in a much similar manner um but as far as the straightness itself goes if you've got a quality shaft um or a, a, a manufacturer that you trust the quality level on mm-hmm then straightness isn't the hugest issue. Um, now, like what you mentioned with trad, um, slower speeds, shorter ranges, you can get away with a lot more and still be very acceptable. Um, and so that's where a lot of guys running trad um, are running, a, you know, like a six thou or a five thou shaft and they're not overly concerned with it because they're they're not um they're not shooting excessive range they're not um you know shooting excessive speeds where you're getting more wind shear that's going to take that that uh wobbles a bad word but i'll say wobble and accentuate it Right. The more wind shear that's there, the more that that's going to play. Um, but for the most part, I equate straightness to budget. Um, if if you're concerned about the cost of arrows, don't stress on the straightness. Yeah. And just understand that depending on the shaft that you're getting, it might mean that you need to knock tune. Um, or it might mean that you need to pay more attention on how you cut and where you cut, um, like we discussed in, in the, the building episode. Um, but what you're getting with a higher quality shaft is less necessary time, really. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, at a high level, that's what it's boiling down to is, is you're getting something that's already where you want it. Um, and you don't necessarily need to spend as much time cutting from specific spots and not tuning as much. And so it's really, in my mind, it comes down to a budget issue and, a lot of this does come into play depending on the type of build because the majority of stuff that I do is north of 18% front of center. Right. If you're which, which isn't in that do, range, no, it's not. Um, and if you're in that, you know, 18 plus range, then that front of center is already assisting your recovery, is already assisting your flight quality and is going to be mitigating some of the downfalls of straightness. So that's where it. I really push it back to budget. If you want the best, then get the best. You're going to pay for the best. Right. If you are willing to put in some extra time and kind of work it yourself, then save some money. You know, yeah. it's you can make both work. Um, and I guess one thing I would mention just, um, slight sidebar with like the FOC thing is that's another question that I get quite a bit is guys that, you know, from scavenging some of the forums, some of the Facebook groups, they'll get it in their head that because a lot of guys are running, you know, mid 20 or high 20% FOC and they're having great results that, you know, they need to hit those numbers. And there's nothing wrong with trying to hit those numbers. But if you're someone that is limiting yourself on uh, like total weight, where you're only wanting to be at say five or 550 or 600, you might be sacrificing more important aspects trying to achieve say 25% plus and you don't want you know you don't want to sacrifice flight quality you don't want to sacrifice durability yep and th- those are the two areas that are most often sacrificed with FOC yep um if you get above that 18 19% you're you're good it's all gravy. Like from there. you're you're in a solid range there. You're you don't need to stress about am I at 20 or am I at 21? Right. At that point, stress about your flight quality. Stress yep. about knowing that you have tough components and tough shafts because what most often happens is you have someone that wants to hit some higher value. And in order to achieve that without going above their, you know, determined total weight, they're going to go to a super lightweight shaft. Right. And go, oh, but I I can, I can be in the high twenties if I run this ultra light shaft and I put 300 grains up front. Okay. Yeah, you can, but what's that going to do for your durability? Yeah, absolutely. What's that? gonna do your shaft still has to be durable too you can't skip exactly 
And so you need to keep things in perspective. And in my mind, it's a matter of not hyper-focusing on any singular aspect and remembering that it's a system. It all has to work together. And the the kind of guideline for that system, at least for me, is the 12 factors. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to make a decision between okay, do I bump this up or, you know, if I do bump that up, what's that going to affect? If it's going to affect anything that's ranked higher than it, yeah, then I don't want to do it. Yep. Go backwards. And you just, you need to keep things in perspective and understand that, you know, going from like an industry standard build at 10 to 12%, up into something in the like near 18, 19% is a significant change. And it's going to be an improvement. You don't need to sacrifice other stuff to, to, to try and, you know, make a higher number happen. It's just something that people tend to yeah. I think, lock I think, in on. I think they lose sight of, everything else when they walk in on front of center when I mean really like your higher front of center should be a byproduct of you using good components that are durable uh yeah um but and that's that's really all I preach like I don't uh I don't preach like try like try and hit this percentage because then people start thinking about it too much and really like if you're shooting a, a well-made broadhead, which is durable, and you're shooting a good insert, outsert, whatever component system up front that is durable, then those two together are typically going to be heavy enough to where you're going to be uh, in the high teens anyway. Which and, yeah. and And if you want more mass overall, then start looking at bumping either your uh, your broadhead or component weight up front if your spine can handle it. And if your spine can't handle it, then toss a wrap and do a four fletch or whatever. And you can typically typically add another 10, 15, 20, 20 grains just by doing that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't I, I used to be I used to when I would start on arrow builds, I would say I'm going to like this build. I'm going to hit this percentage of FOC. But anymore, I'm just like, yeah, this is what I'm going to run up front and whatever my FOC ends up at is what it's going to be. I'm pretty sure my compound hunting arrows right now are at 18%. And like, I just, I literally had a hundred grain, uh, insert and a 200 grain head. I was like, yeah, that's all I want on this particular build. And it hit 18% and the, uh, uh, the shafts are pretty heavy for a 250 spine. So, yeah. Well, and that's honestly, I mean, that's what you want. I mean, that's the right way of doing it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's I have, I think most of my shafts are between, well, I guess with my new trad shafts, I guess like 22 to 32. But that's my new trad shaft is just stupid. So we'll, we'll exclude that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, one where you know you pick the other stuff that you want like we discussed in the previous podcast and if you're if you're happy with the durability 
and you have proved that it's going to fly properly and you're happy with where the total weight ends up, then you've got most of the bases covered. At yep. that point, it's fine tuning. Yep. Yep, exactly. Uh, in regards to you have your broadheads, typically have your ones or single bevels. Uh, and really, this question kind of gets sucked into uh, just two blades in general, but I'll we'll focus on single bevels, is blood trails. And what are blood trails like with single bevels or, or just a two-blade broadhead? And I will be, uh, well, and apparently, because... Uh, I don't endorse certain broadheads. I'm not allowed to talk. I don't, I don't know how blood trails work. Uh, um, but in, in all reality, no one truly knows how blood trails work because there's a hundred things that goes into blood trails, uh, and how much blood is pumped out of an animal that we will never be able to control. And we will never be able to understand, even if you hit the exact spot that you're looking for. But we can talk about a couple of things. Um, so particularly with single bevels, when a single bevel impacts an animal, it continues to spin and you'll get the like the star, the S cut that guys talk about. And this will often result in a uh, a wound channel or even an, entry, an entrance and exit wound uh, that is significantly larger than the actual diameter of the broadhead. So some of these broadheads are an inch and an eighth, inch and a quarter. And I've seen guys measure on straight on shots, not like crazy hard angled shots where that all the all the expandable guys like to like to show where, you know, they they basically shot a deer at like a like a 75, 80 percent angle and and caught it with like, you know, the broadhead was at the perfect spot where it ended up being like an eight inch hole in the deer. Uh, I've seen guys do dead on like like I mean, I guess that would be 90 degrees. I guess they'd be. The, yeah, broadside shot. The, yeah, the broadside shot. The other ones I was talking about would be like 15, 20 degree shots. Anyway, yeah. broadside shots like straight on that resulted in holes that are three, three and a half inches wide sometimes out of an inch and a quarter broadhead uh, because they're just not uh, uh, because they are they're when they're going in, they're twisting, they're sucking in that hide and it's almost like a vacuum effect. Uh, and and it, it, it creates these well, it depends channels. on the softness the suppleness of the impact zone because essentially it's like twirling spaghetti right right so the the softer the looser the skin and the flesh is at the point of impact the more that it's going to pull in as impact occurs and rotation occurs um and so that's where like at impact and exit, a lot of times you'll get that S um, or in some cases like an L cut. Mm -hmm. um, and the, that star pattern really comes to life internally. Um, because as you're going through the soft tissue of the lungs and you have all, I mean, lungs are all different nodes and like, you have all of this, uh, you know, fibrous material mm -hmm. that is with that rotation is being kind of pulled in. And so you end up with all of these 
as long as your broadhead is sharp enough, you end up with all of these small lacerations and cuts radiating out from the main channel, right? Mm -hmm. And while a lot of people will say, well, it's really not changing that much. It's still additional blood loss. Mm -hmm. It's still additional trauma. Um, but like that's definitely an upside for single bevels. Um, but regardless of what that hole is, regardless of what damage is incurring inside the animal, there is always the possibility that something is going to block the holes. Right. An organ shifts or some fat shifts or the hide yeah. kind of clogs everything up and, and the blood, you know, kind of coagulates in the hair. Yeah. Troy Range Fairy did a really good video on this that shows yes. how how stuff can just kind of like the animal just moving can like shift the hide and skin around and completely close up a hole like you will get yeah. zero zero blood at all that's that's and, part of what i'm talking about with like there's there's some things that and that along with a multitude of other thing other things you'll just never be able to control ever yeah and well and that's where you can have uh, a one inch wide broadhead that is put in a very similar spot to a three inch wide broadhead and on one side of the fence the three inch wide broadhead is going to spill blood everywhere right mm -hmm. but then on sharp. the other side of the fence the three inch wide broadhead has drips right and you're going what happened <laughs> you know and you find the animal and you got this giant cut and you're like how did it not bleed right well, something probably clogged up the hole. Yeah, clogged up the hole. You know? or... And so at that point, like broadhead selection wise, I'm discounting blood trail. I'm not looking at at the width of the cut right. to determine or the number of blades to determine my blood trail. I'm looking at probability of exit and the the ability for it to stay sharp a sharp blade will create a cut that bleeds freer yes that that's more free flowing yep um and that's just due to the clotting process the natural chemical process that occurs yep um but the other part of of blood trail and something that i've kind of touched on with you before matt is the actual placement of understanding where you want to hit an animal to create the best blood trail. And one thing that a lot of people seem to miss or has been lost over, you know, the last couple of decades, just from the shift in the industry is so many people now, especially for whitetails shoot animals in the rear lung. And, in my mind, that's a byproduct of the type of equipment that has been pushed and has been primarily used where people are afraid of shoulder blades and afraid of being near bone. And so the, the desired point of impact has moved away from that bone and 
that's part of why the blades keep getting wider is because the further back in the lungs you get, the lower the, the density of blood vessels, the smaller the blood vessels. And so to release the same amount of blood or the same have the same rate of blood loss, mm-hmm. you need to cut a larger area. Yep. Whereas if if you're prepared for a potential bone impact and you're you're not afraid of putting it into the front of the lungs near heart, you can still achieve phenomenal rate of blood loss with a much smaller head. And one thing that I see a lot with uh, customers um, that are traveling for hunts. Um, I mean, whitetail is by far the most common hunted animal in, in the States. Um, and guys are used to being able to potentially shoot a little further back and still be very successful. If you go say to Africa and you're chasing planes game, if you take a rear lung shot type of of shot on the majority of planes game, you're probably not going to recover that animal. And it's because out of necessity and how these animals have have changed in response to the predators that they deal with, their vitals are tucked inside of their inside of that rib cage and like shoulder blade area. Right. And so everything is further further, forward, much further forward than most North American game. And so that's a, a major reason why you'll see a lot of posts where guys come back from their first trip from Africa. If it, and you know, if it wasn't successful, and we'll go, man, I, I, I hit this thing perfect and it just didn't bleed. Like, you know, the broadheads are garbage or this is garbage. <laughs> and, you know, and you, you ask them to point out where they hit it and they go, oh, I, been, I hit it perfect. Yeah. Would have been a perfect you know, shot on a whitetail. And it's like, oh, well, on a whitetail, that, that probably would have died. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not perfect on an Impala. Or you know, on you know whatever animal you're 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 chasing, and so it's one thing that I, I definitely want to stress as far as blood trail is understand the game that you're pursuing. Not everything's a whitetail. Yep. Not everything is an elk, and there is a ton of material out there that you can look up, like anatomy drawings, and you know. Uh, you know, vid- videos of animals being butchered and get an understanding of where the important bits are in whatever animal that you're chasing, because the critical factor in having a blood trail and having a short track and recovering an animal is, you know, you've covered the bases with the arrow system, but now you need to put it where the vital organs are on that animal 
And so many it, people overlook that 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 little piece of it that is just so important. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, I've seen, especially around the the beginning of the years, when a lot of uh, a lot of safaris are uh, are going on sale. You know, it's it's the big Dallas Safari Club show, Safari Club International show. You can show up there, get a really good package deal on a bunch of bunch of animals. Go over there and, and do your hunt. And I see a lot of guys are like, oh, I'm got the opportunity to go to Africa. Like, what should I bring? And I would always encourage people to go with a heavier arrow than they typically think. Now you're going, you're, you know, you're going to Africa, you're going over there. The biggest thing you are slated to hunt is like, you know, two to three, maybe 400 pounds, about the size of a white tail or uh, a big white tail or a mule deer. Right. And, and like Rob said, African Plains game, the vitals are further up, closer tucked into that shoulder. So I would encourage you to ha- have an, a heavier arrow for two main reasons. One, because you are more likely, if you're shooting in the right spot, you are more likely to uh, to hit the uh, the actual shoulder uh, than, than you are on most North American game uh, in comparison. And two... A lot of the times, and I guess this isn't only applicable applicable to Africa. There's a lot of guys that go down to Texas and and do you know exotic hunts and stuff down there, uh, and especially on on local farm or you know f- farms here stateside. Uh, you get there if you want to hunt something else, they will gladly sell it to you, and that will also like if you're in Africa and you have the ability, if they'll cut you a deal on another animal, half the time you'll get there and they'll be like, yeah, we've had this male in this area that's been disturbing uh you know these other males he's getting older we want to take him out of the uh uh, you know out of the group and he's you know we'll 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 sell him to you for a thousand bucks two thousand bucks or you know give you a couple thousand off if it's a more expensive animal then uh you have the uh firepower i guess you could say you have the equipment to do the job correctly because a lot of the time this isn't going to be your like your little baby planes game. You're going there to shoot two to three hundred pound animals, and they're like, "Oh, we'll sell, we'll let you shoot this Lord Derby Elon that's thirteen hundred pounds, which by the way is like the size of a moose. Like a Lord Derby Elon is like the same weight as a moose, and like you're gonna show up to Africa with a four hundred grain arrow and then like pray that you know pay an extra grand or two to shoot this this Elon and then like pray that you have the equipment to get it done. Like just bring something a little bit heavier and have the tackle to do it all just in case something like that happens. Uh, so if you're going anywhere, if you're going on any kind of destination hunt that lets you do stuff like that, I would highly, highly encourage you to uh, practice and uh, bring heavier arrows than you think that you need to. And I would encourage you if it's a good pH, like if it's, if it comes recommended, like call the pH, talk to them. Uh, and and ask them what they're recommending because you'd be surprised on you know what what some of these guys will recommend. Yeah, it's just planes game. But you know, last year we had a couple of guys that uh, that showed up and uh, they they drew blood, and that's how it works there. If you draw blood, like that's that's your animal, you're done. And they drew blood, but we couldn't recover it because they made a made a poor shot. If they had had something heavier, it probably would have worked out. So. Bring yep. heavier arrow if you can. <laughs> well, it's just one of those where like it's a plan for the unexpected kind of thing. And like especially like you mentioned like Texas. I mean, 
most of the places you get on to Texas and you got all kinds of variety. You might go down there for a hog hunt and you get down there and kill a couple of pigs and they're going, Hey, you know, you still got a day or two left in your hunt. You know, if you want to shoot one of these, you know, whatever, whether it's a Sitka or an Axis or an Eland or Buffalo, whatever, depending on where you're at. I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing what you can find in Texas. Um, it's all there. But then if an opportunity arises, you're prepared. And I mean, granted, it might not be ideal, but being prepared, you know, in some regard, whether that's, you know, 500, 550, 650, whatever, consciously thinking about it beforehand means that you'll be some level of better prepared if the opportunity arises. Right. And yep. then you'll be more confident and ready to capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah. Um, well, we've been been at it for about an hour and a half now. Is do we have any other like big frequently asked questions that kind of come into play? Um uh, I guess the only other one that I really get is like questioning, and this is more on like more budget minded um you know, where guys don't necessarily have a upfront desired build plan um, where, you know, first time kind of messing with something and they're going, okay, well, I could hit the same weight using a, you know, a factory insert with a couple pieces of brass Mm -hmm. or using uh, like static stainless insert or using a two-piece insert system, insert outsert system. What's, you know, why would I spend an extra $20, $30 on one over the other? And it really kind of, it comes down to what level of insurance that you want. This ties in directly to the, you know, the shaft durability question. Um, and so there's absolutely nothing wrong with a factory insert with brass, right? If if you're someone that has been running a industry standard build and you're you're not chasing some new and bigger different game, right? You're you're still just chasing your whitetail, you're still chasing the same elk and you've previously had success and you haven't been breaking arrows left and right and you've been using standard builds well then you'd probably be pretty confident improving the durability with just adding a couple of pieces of brass yep as an internal footer increasing your weight and running it right now if if you've experienced failures with a standard type build like that now one step up would be a better material quality static insert it's it's going to provide a little bit 
uh more rigidity compared to most of your like super light aluminum type inserts with no brass um and it's gonna be a higher quality it's gonna be more consistent as far as weight and and from that aspect um now if you're just wanting durability then unless you're wanting to you know frankenstein and add in you know custom footers then an insert outsert system is really your your top choice because you're getting the higher quality insert system with a high quality sleeve as your external footer yeah. um and so that's really the easiest way to kind of break break down that kind of topic is right. all of them will work we know that any of this stuff will work it's a matter of your own experience and and the experiences of those around you and how that affects what level of insurance you're desiring yeah right i can i can tell for anyone who is like kind of on the fence on how much they want to spend i understand everyone has their own budgets and i respect that but respect 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 uh <laughs> i respect that uh but i can tell you i mean going from brass on everything for an internal footer versus buying probably the best inserts that you can get you're looking at it for a dozen arrows you're looking at a difference of 40 or 50 bucks maybe maybe uh max, and yeah ma I mean, yeah that's max after doing but right right and and that's i promise you when it comes crunch time you won't care about 50 bucks it won't it will not make a difference in your head <laughs> you won't you won't be driving to uh driving to your camp with that 180 inch booner on uh on camera thinking man i wish i'd saved that extra 50 bucks and gone with you know just brass inserts and uh, instead of going out and buying these nice uh insert outsert systems or whatever direct bond systems you want to run uh i promise you you won't think about it and, and like bruce said a couple episodes ago you know picture yourself on the side of a mountain you just paid five thousand ten thousand dollars for a guided elk hunt you put it where you know you it went right where you wanted to and they turned into it you caught the full shoulder arrow breaks or you get no penetration like if you could pull 50 bucks 100 bucks out of your pocket to have that bull dead right in front of you or have that even a cow i mean that's a lot of meat have that cow dead right in front of you would you do it and the answer is yes you would so i would encourage you guys I, like i said i know everyone's got a budget but if you're uh if you're looking at if you're if you're wanting to be halfway serious about it i would encourage you to to get into some quality components it's uh, it's it's too easy anymore Back, back back when we were building arrows like it was some long time ago uh um but back when this whole movement kind of thing started it was tough to build good quality like have a have a good component up front it wasn't as easy as it is now now there's multiple people that have everything literally laid out right in front of you you just put in your basket order it show up put it on it's done you don't have to order from five different places and pray that you got the right size and everything you can 
it's all in one spot. It's too easy anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was a lot easier than it than it used to be. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else? I don't know. No, I mean, covered a lot of yeah, a lot of small hot topics. Yeah, I'm, I'm and, sure we'll uh, we'll do these frequently I'm, asked questions thing uh, things every you know. Uh, what are we? This would be 15 episodes in, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what we'll do about about that'll probably be about right. Every 15 episodes or so, we'll probably take a take a quick break and and just do some frequently asked questions stuff to where we're not you know we're not bound to a certain topic. We can cover all sorts of stuff. So yeah, just kind of whatever's been popping up and yep, it's amazing the random things that'll all start and you know, start showing up on Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Alrighty. Well, uh, thanks again, everyone for tuning in. Uh, Oh, Rob's dog is very excited that we're about to wrap up. Uh, um, yeah. Once again, thanks for, thanks for tuning in, uh, like subscribe, give us a good review. If you can, those are starting to pop up on, uh, on the various places. And we really, really appreciate that. So until next time, stay lethal and don't forget the olive oil.